This is an article, I think it's the whole article, it might just be an excerpt, from Oprah Winfrey's magazine, O, O, the Oprah Winfrey magazine, August 2014. This is what it says. See, see what you think about this. She says, on May 28th, as I was dressing to go on set to, the film, to film the movie Selma, I got the call from Maya Angelou's longtime assistant, confidant, and friend, Mrs. Stuckey. Maya was gone. It felt... I felt a jolt, then a shift inside of myself. I'd recently been to see her and had spoken to her just three days before. Her last words to me were, love you, babe, love, I replied. In the hours and days that followed her passing, I was surprised that I never felt sadness. At times, I did feel kind of numb, a numb nothingness, a foreign void, knowing I could never again pick up the phone and hear the joy in her voice when she said, hello, you darling girl. The sense of physical loss is deep and real. But oh my, I cannot tell you what a breakthrough it's been to open myself up to her spiritual presence. I felt her everywhere, in the breeze, in my voice, in every encounter, her spirit abides with me. For years I told people, when someone you love dies, you now have an angel that you can call by name. I've always felt my grandmother, Hattie Mae, was head of my angel team, along with the legions of ancestors unknown to me. Now I believe Maya, who loved me fiercely while she was here, is co-captain. I fully understand what she meant in her poem, Our Grandmothers, when she said, I go forth alone and I stand as 10,000. Oprah theology, right? What do we do with that? What do you think about that? You know, is that, is that what happens to us when we die? We become like the angels or we become somebody's angel? I guess, I guess that's a comforting thought. Where does she get that? I've, I've actually seen that lots of times before on Facebook. You know, I think it, people want, I think it feels maybe comforting or people think it feels comforting to somebody that's, that's lost a loved one that, you know, now there's another angel in heaven. I don't know. Their loved ones are, like, still here, at least, but not in bodily form. But is that what happens when we die? Like, is that what angels are, just human beings who have come and gone? Like, what are angels? Where do they come from? Where are they now? And what about demons? Is that what demons are? Are demons people that have died as well? Are they like evil people who have died? What are demons? Are demons real? What do they do? Can I be possessed? Like I've seen in the movies, right? Can I be possessed by a demon? Can a demon read my mind? Like what do demons do? And what about Satan? You know, is, is Satan real? Where, where did Satan come from? What does he do? He kind of scares me, right? Should I fear him? Should I not fear him? Well, tonight we're going to continue in the series that we've been doing over the last uh, month and a half. I think this is the sixth week of the series called Organic Faith. And in this series, we've really been digging into our faith, into what we believe, into our theology. And so we've been saying, this is what we believe. This is why we believe it. We've been digging into the why. And then what difference does it make in our lives today? And so in the past weeks, this is a little bit different series for us, right? Kind of digging into a lot of information so that we walk away, especially walk into Easter 
prepared, that if God opens up opportunities, we can share with other people what we believe. So throughout this series, we've been saying, listen, we're not talking about all of this stuff just for us. Like I'm not, I'm not learning this stuff just for me so that my faith is really strong, although that's important. But I, we said that the way I live my life and what I believe influences others, right? Whether we want it to or not, whether we believe it or not, it in, the way I believe and way, the way I live my life has an influence on other people. And so we should be sure and make sure that what we believe is true and accurate, right? And so throughout this series, we've been digging into various topics. The first week, we talked about the Bible. What do we believe about the Bible? And we've said over and over again that, man, that is so important because if we get that wrong, if we get it wrong, what we believe about this, it messes up the rest of our theology. So we talked about that the first week. Next week, we talked about God, the triune God, right? God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The following week, we talked about God, the Son. Last week, we talked about God, the Holy Spirit, and tonight, I want to talk about angels and demons. This is actually one of the things that uh, I've had lots of questions on. You know, I've had lots of, of you ask me, well, what, what do they do? Where are they? What can they do to me? What do we believe about that? So tonight, we're going to dig into what we believe about angels and demons. But before we do that, let me dig into the why, because I think we can be quick with this. Why do we believe what we believe about angels and demons? Well, we said this at some level each of the last six weeks, but it's especially important tonight because there's so much diversity in what we believe, uh, in what our world believes about angels and demons, right? And there's even diversity about what we believe as Christians about angels and demons. So here's the why. It's really important. Here's the why, ready? Why do we believe what we believe about angels and demons. We at Grace Church believe what we do about angels and demons because of what the Bible tells us about angels and demons. It's like pretty straightforward, right? Unashamedly, we believe what we do. We have, we have beliefs, right? And we believe the way that we do about these things because of what the Bible tells us about these things. So we don't base our belief off some movie's portrayal of angels or demons, Right? We don't base our beliefs off what Oprah Winfrey says because she's very wealthy and she's influential and she's famous. No. We don't base our beliefs off what some leader of a church experienced hundreds of years ago where someone or something spoke to them and said, this is how it is. No. We don't base our beliefs off someone else's experience of the supernatural, no matter how sincere they actually are. We don't even base our beliefs just on our experience or potential experience of the supernatural. You know why? Because we can be deceived. We can be deceived. And so what we do is we base our understanding of angels and demons on the Bible. God gave us this, right? In the first week, we said, this is sufficient. This is what he gave us to be sufficient to live our lives in a way that honor him, right? And so we say, this is where we get Everything that we believe. This is the why. Why do we believe what we believe? Well, because this is what the Bible says. So tonight, um, I'm excited to, to kind of dig into this. And there's so many things that the Bible says. Whether I'm not sure, like, when you think about angels and demons, if you think, like, this is something that's just barely talked about in the Bible or it's talked about a lot. There's a lot that the Bible says about angels and demons. And so I'm excited to kind of dig into it um, what I want to do is I want to, I basically, I just want to state some facts to you first, okay? So we're going to spend a decent portion of our time. I'm going to give you some cold, hard facts, right? Cold, hard facts about angels. 
going to give you some cold, hard facts about demons and some cold, hard facts about Satan. We're just going to kind of dig into some of this stuff. And then when we're done, we're going to talk about what difference does it make. Like, so what? Should, should this make some sort of difference in my life today? And I want to say this. A lot of the stuff that um, I'm sharing with you, I pulled from um, a few different resources, a few different guys. One of the guys I've said probably most weeks that I really like, a theologian named uh, Wayne Grudem. He's written some really good stuff on this. I think he's very clear. I think he's, um, uh, he does a really good job of looking at what the entire Bible says about this. Another theologian named Paul Little, he's passed away now, but he's written pretty extensively on this as well. And then another guy that probably some of you have heard of is a pastor out in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. His name's Tony Evans. Uh, he wrote a little book. It's actually really good. It's, I don't know, maybe 60 pages, 70 pages. You could probably read it in an hour, hour and a half, something like that, just on angels and demons. And it's some really good stuff, very biblically based. So I pulled a lot of stuff from there. So that's what I'm going to share with you. So some cold, hard facts on angels, demons, and Satan. You ready for this? Got your seatbelts, your plug on seatbelts? Ready. All right, here we go. So first of all, angels, cold hard facts about angels. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through some of this stuff kind of quickly, okay? So hang with me, and we're going to talk about what difference it makes. Angels, first one, angels are created spiritual beings. Angels are created spiritual beings. So I don't know if you know this or not, God created two groups of beings. God created two groups of moral, intelligent beings. One are angels. You know what the other is? People, us, right? And so one of them are physical. That's us. We're physical, moral, intelligent beings. One of them uh, are non-physical. They're spiritual. They don't have physical bodies. Although angels, it seems like from time to time, if we actually read the, the accounts in the Bible, from time to time, they can take on bodily form. They can take on the physical form at times as God uses them to send messages to people. Second thing, there seems to be three other kinds of heavenly beings. Some people consider all of them angels in the general sense. Some people consider these three separate and different, these three separate and different than angels. That's cherubim, seraphim, and living creatures. What are those? Some people consider all of those angels, angelic beings. Some people would say there's angels, there's cherubim, there's seraphim, and there's living creatures. What are cherubim? Well, you can read about it in Genesis 3, Ezekiel 10. These are winged creatures that guard the entrance to the Garden of Eden, and they're said to be what God is enthroned upon and enthroned between. So these, are, these things have wings, they have human hands, they have wheels. Like, try to imagine this, what this is like. I bet if you Google image searched, you could find some really cool images of this, right? Uh, so they, they uh, have wings, human hands, wheels, and they're covered in eyes. And they have four faces, one of a cherub, one of a man, one of a lion, one of an eagle. And they are powerful. One thing is clear, they are powerful. Second thing, seraphim. What are seraphim? Well, we don't know too much about seraphim. They're actually only mentioned one time in the Bible, in Isaiah chapter 6. They sing to God. They have six wings. This is what we know about them. They have six wings, and they sing to God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. That's seraphim. We don't know too much about them. Third group are the living creatures. You can read about them in Ezekiel chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 4. These things seem kind of similar but different to cherubim. They're similar to cherubim, but they seem a little different as well. Here's what it says in uh, Revelation chapter 4. Maybe maybe even close your eyes and try to imagine what this is like. It says, In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man. 
The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whether or not all of those are angels or those are something different than angels, there's not a whole lot of specificity in the Bible. But each of these are spoken of in the Bible. How about this? Angels were likely created before mankind was created. So there's some unknowns here. There's some stuff like there's a lot of specifics that we don't quite understand. But if you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, you remember how the Bible starts? In the beginning, God created what? the heavens and the earth, right? And then it goes into talking about the creation of the earth. Earth was formless and empty, darkness. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters, right? But we know that God created in the beginning the heavens and the earth, right? But all it gets into in the Bible is the creation of the earth. But we know that beyond the earth, we just said it, he also created the heavens as well. And so he does that in six days, right? That's Genesis chapter one. Then you get to Genesis chapter two, and it says that the heavens and the earth were created, they're all done, and God rested. So somewhere in there, God created the heavens and everything in them and the earth and everything in them. You remember when human beings were created, what day? Sixth day, right? So we're created right at the end. So somewhere in there, likely before us, God created these angelic beings, Heaven must have been first. These heavenly beings must have been. I, I think we can conclude that they must have been first because in the garden that God made Adam and Eve to live in, remember the cherubim were there. They were guarding it. So there are already cherubim and there was already a fallen angel in the garden, right? Which we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Next, angels have other names too. So they're also called sons of God, holy ones, spirits, Watchers, thrones, dominions, principalities, authorities, powers, and heavenly host. There's all sorts of different names in the Bible for, the, for angels. There seems as well to be some sort of ranking among the angels. And there's not a whole lot of clarity with this, but there's a, there's a differentiation between archangels and other angels, right? There's also a differentiarity between chief princes, angels that are chief princes, and other angels that aren't. That could be the same thing. Archangel and chief prince might be the same thing. It might not be. It's talked about in Jude chapter nine, I'm sorry, Jude 9, Revelation chapter 12, Daniel chapter 10. So there's some sort of subordination system among angels. We don't really know what it's like, but we know that there's a differentiation between archangels, chief princes, and other angels as well. So it could be elaborate. It might be very basic. We don't know. Uh, do you know that there's only two angels that are specifically named in the Bible? You know who they are? First one is Michael, right? Michael's actually one of the archangels, uh, and he's one of the archangels, and so apparently there's at least one other archangel, but Michael's one of them. He's mentioned in Jude 9 and Revelation 12 again. The other is Gabriel. Gabriel, you may have remembered at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, Gabriel is the one who comes to Mary and says to her, the spirit of God is going to overshadow you. You're going to be with child, right? That's through Gabriel. So it's kind of a messenger of God. And then there's actually one other fallen angel 
in the Bible that's very specifically named as well, which again, we'll get to here in a little bit. Um, How about this? No one knows how many angels there are, but we know there's lots. We know that there's lots of them. Daniel 7, Revelation 5 talks about thousands upon thousands of angels or multitudes upon multitudes of angels. Angels are always referred to in the masculine gender, uh, but there's no mention of sexual orientation with them. So that could mean something. It could not mean something. Generally in the Bible, uh, most are, is, is written in the masculine gender, okay? But uh, Matthew 22, this is kind of interesting. Matthew 22:30 says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. Seems to be no sexual orientation of angels. How about this? Angels are powerful, they're very, very powerful. Psalm 103.20 says, Praise the Lord, you as angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Isaiah 37.36, The angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 Assyrians. The angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 people. Think about the power, right? Second Peter uh, 2.11 Peter calls the angels greater in might and power than human beings. They're greater in might. They're greater in power than, than us. It's interesting. We've been um, watching. I don't know if you guys seen the, the Bible series. You guys seen that? I think it came out last year. There's maybe 10 different episodes of it. We've been watching it at night uh, with the kids. We've had to cover their eyes a few times because it's pretty graphic. Some of the parts are pretty graphic. But it's interesting how they portray angels in that. It's actually very interesting. Uh, they're, they're people that, that kind of show up and disappear, and they're very strong and they're very powerful. Just kind of an interesting thing. But angels are powerful. One thing that's very clear from the Bible is that angels are powerful. They're greater, they're more powerful than us as human beings. They're also highly intelligent. They glorify God. They act as messengers of God and carry out his plans, and they're used to guard mankind, right? So angels are smart. They're really smart. We don't know how smart. We don't know if there's degrees of intelligence, but we know they're intelligent. They glorify God. That's what they do. That's their purpose, which, by the way, is the same purpose for us, God's other created, moral, intelligent beings, right? So they glorify God. They act as God's messengers, like Gabriel, who we just talked about, right? God had a message for Mary, and he sent Gabriel to give her this message. And uh, they're used to guard us. They're used to guard mankind, which is... A reassuring thought, right? Like I, you think about uh, how many times we've been protected, we've been guarded by angels. We'll never know in this life, you know, what that looks like. But that's part of their job. We should never worship angels or any other heavenly beings. And you talk to some people, and they have sort of this unhealthy infatuation with angles. Another thing is very angels, not angles. Right angles. They love them. Angels. One th- another thing that's very clear in the Bible is that we're only to worship who? God, right? What's the very first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Remember Ten Commandments? First one, you should have no other gods before me. How about the second commandment? You shouldn't make for yourself an idol. Basically, you shouldn't have any other gods beside me as well. And so even though they're greater than us, we should not worship them. A lot of times we as human beings want to worship something greater than us, right? Angels are greater than us, but we don't worship them. Last thing about angels is it's possible to have an experience with an angel today. 
If this unusual thing happens and we have an encounter with the angel, we should be extremely cautious and compare everything to Scripture. So, yeah, they're they're still there, right? Nothing in the Bible that says the angels cease to be. In fact, they're around the very throne of God. It's possible for us to have an experience, a supernatural experience with an angel. There's nothing in the Bible that says that can't happen. However, we've got to be really, really careful, right? And if, if... somehow, some way, there's a message that we are given, we should always compare that to what the Bible says because we believe that the Bible is the word of God. And if it's truly from an angel, it will not contradict this, right? Very important. So there you go. There's a bunch of information about angels. Just throw it up on you, right? How about demons? Let's do some cold, hard facts about demons. Ready? What in the world are demons? Well, demons... Two are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence and without physical bodies. That's what demons are. They, too, are created spiritual beings with moral judgment, high intelligence, without physical bodies. God made them. They're, they're spiritual. They're non-physical. They know right and wrong, and they're smart. And so I don't know what you're thinking, but my first thought would be, well, if demons are demons, why would God make demons? Why would God do that? Why would God create them? Well, because demons are fallen angels who sinned against God and continually work evil in the world. That's what they are. Demons aren't something different than that. What demons are are fallen angels. They're real. They're angels that fell from heaven and now look to destroy God's creation. They look to destroy you and me. Demons hate God. Demons hate us, right? And they look to destroy us. They know right and wrong, and they chose wrong, just like you and I know right and wrong, right? They know right and wrong. They chose wrong, and they continue to choose wrong. They're evil. They're not to be toyed with. However, their fate is sealed. Their fate is determined. They know that, right? They know what their fate is. One day, they will be sent away. They will be done with, and they'll have no influence over you and I. But in the meantime, their mission is to make our lives, our world, as destroyed as possible, right? To work against the ways of God and who he is. Demons likely fell sometime before mankind was created. So he said, if angels, we believe, it seems that angels were created before we were, And you have a fallen angel, Satan, in the Garden of Eden. They must have fell before uh, we were created as well. And so it talks a little bit about demons falling in 2 Peter 2 and Jude 6. Uh, If uh, I and other theologians understand the imagery, sometimes it's hard to understand it, but understand the imagery in Revelation 12 correctly, then a third of all the angels fell during that time. So these multitudes upon multitudes, thousands upon thousands, a third of them fell at some time before you and I were created. They became demons. There seems to be different levels of demonic activity in different stages of history. And so the the tactics and what demons did in the Old Testament days are different than what demons seem to do in uh, Jesus' time, right? Seemed to be a time where demons were doing, they're very active, right, during that time. It's different in our time, and it'll be different one day when Jesus comes back in the millennium. Uh, I think in our time, their influence is much more subtle, right? 
Like it's different than what you read in the Bible in the New Testament and how Jesus exercised demons. It's different today. It's more subtle. But demons are real and they're active in our world today. They're not a joke. They're not just characters in a movie. They're not just a myth. They're real and dangerous and destructive. I don't talk about this uh, very much with very many people, but I'll, I'll say this generally to you. Um, I and other pastors that I know and love and respect have had uh, experiences with demons, with a darkness and an evil that uh, are, is influencing people's lives. And I can tell you this, it was, I think in every case, a result of people, and I'll get to this in a little bit, but of people opening up their lives to evil not filling themselves, not trusting God, not filling themselves with the things of God, but opening up their lives to evil. It's real. It's not a joke. However, demons aren't everywhere, right? They're not omnipresent. Remember when we were talking about God? We said God is everywhere at all times. God is omnipresent. Demons aren't. Demons aren't everywhere. There's not a demon behind every corner. And not all evil is demonic, Sometimes we as human beings can, can make demons and uh, scapegoats for us, right? Listen, you and I are pretty evil on our own, right? Like we could be pretty rotten on our own. In fact, it's interesting if you look at um, the end times, if you read through Revelation, right near the end of Revelation, talks about this millennial reign of Jesus. We'll talk a little bit about this next week. But Jesus comes back and he reigns on earth and he binds, he throws Satan into a bottomless pit, which basically means he has no influence And you know what happens? There's still evil in the world. People still rebel against Jesus, even though he's physically there and Satan and his cronies are bound. It's interesting, right? Demons use tactics like temptation, doubt, fear, guilt, confusion, sickness, envy, pride, and slander. They can play to our fears. They can play to our emotions. They can play to our feelings. However, there's no indication that demons can read our minds or know the future. That's nowhere in the Bible. There's no indication that that's true, that they can read what's going on in their mind, but they're smart, and they can observe what's going on in our lives, right? They can see us. They can see things that we're doing, and then they can bring about temptations external to us, but they can bring about temptations that, uh, that destroy us, that can pull us away from God. How about this? I get this question a lot. Can a Christian be possessed by a demon? Like, is there such a thing as demon possession? Depending on what we mean by possession, demons can possess non-Christians. Christians can't be possessed by demons, but we can be influenced by demons. Okay, let me, let me kind of expand on that a little bit. Demonic possession is kind of an unfortunate term. It's not really reflected in the original language in the New Testament. Literally what it means, more literally what it means is that someone has a demon, that they have a demon. They have this, this connection, this attachment to a demon who has some level of influence on that person's life. And it doesn't often look like what we see on, on TV, in a movie. Very rarely is the person totally out of control themselves and completely under the, denomina- the, the domination of a demon. And this sort of extreme possession, demonization, can't happen to Christians. You know why? Romans 6 talks about this. We already have a master. 
We already have a Lord, right? We are his. We are not the possession of somebody else. We talked about this last week when we talked about the Holy Spirit. We said it's like we're possessed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus has us in his hand, and no one can snatch us from his hand, right? We cannot be snatched from his hand when we love Jesus. Really important. That said, demons can have powerful influence on non-Christians to do some incredibly evil things, right? Like we'll never know in this life things like school shootings, right? Things like rapes, drug addiction, child molestations, evil world leaders like Hitler, like what's going on with ISIS. We'll never know if that's just human evil, purely human evil, or if that's also has something to do with demonic things as well. We'll never know that. My personal thought is that it's a little bit of both. It's the evil human heart and this evil that's external to us. But for Christians, if Christians open themselves up to sin and evil and don't follow Jesus and they don't talk about him, they don't talk to him, they don't invite him into their lives, then we too can open ourselves up to lies and deceptions of demons. And so although we can't be owned or completely compelled by demons, we can be influenced by demons. In fact, I think this happens too much in the lives of Christians. And it doesn't look like, you know, what you see in the exorcist, you know, somebody's head doesn't spin around, they're not climbing up walls. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what it looks like. I think it can look a little bit like apathy, you know? Like I don't I just don't really care about God. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I don't really care about God that much or the things of God become lukewarm. I think it could look like us justifying sin and compromise. Even when something's very clear in the Bible, we go, eh, you know, it's not a big deal. It doesn't, it doesn't really apply to me. I think it can look like worldliness. You know, Christians becoming indistinguishable from the world. The world becomes really attractive to me. You know, I'm not, I'm not filling my mind with this. I'm not doing this very much. And the things of the world start to look pretty good to me. Before you know it, my life's not very different than somebody who's not a follower of Jesus. I think it could look like distraction, where thousands of other things become as important or more important to me than God. I think it could look like a a, a focused fear. And here's what I mean. Like I'm focused on and I'm scared of the evil that I've allowed into my life, that I've invited into my life, and I can't think of anything but that, this focused fear. See, I think demons are in many ways like uh, stray cats. Sorry if you're a cat person to compare cats to demons. I apologize ahead of time. But, but I think they're like cats. And here's what I mean by this. I, I used to live in a trailer park. And in the trailer park, uh, there were stray cats. There were a lot of stray cats. And if you would take your trash out and you would put it like on your patio, just set it on your patio, you know, with last night's dinner scraps inside of it, right? Or, or you were to uh, have a piece of siding on the bottom of your trailer come apart and you didn't fix it. You know what would happen? You get cats. Cats start hanging out, right? Free food, free shelter, right? That's what they do. See, if we leave ourselves, our minds, our spirits unoccupied by God and open and available to the enemy, what do you think happens? We become free food, free shelter, right? And it's possible that we open ourselves up and invite evil into our lives without even realizing it. Like, think about that. That's, that's scary, guys. It's possible we start down this slippery slope and we open up our lives to evil. We start spending less time with God. 
right? Reading my Bible becomes a chore. I haven't picked it up. I bring it on Saturday night. I set it down. I don't pick it up again until Saturday night. I never get down on my knees and pray. I fill my mind with a bunch of garbage, right? Before you know it, you're down this slippery slope and you're pulled away from God and you're being influenced by evil without you even realizing it. It's scary. All right, can we quickly talk about the leader of the demons, the prince of demons, the devil? Uh, I was reading uh, this little excerpt from uh, National Geographic. My mom used to always get National Geographic when we were kids. It was like the most boring magazine I could ever think of when, I, when you were a kid. But I was reading this little article from National Geographic by uh, an entomologist, a bug guy named Robert Jackson, and he was talking about the Portia spider. I think I'm pronouncing that right, P-O-R-T-I-A could be Portia. Portia sounds cooler. Portia spider. And the spider is this master predator. And actually, what it does is it feasts on other dangerous spiders. So what it'll do is it'll go on to some other spider's web, and it'll tap the silken string. It'll tap it in a way that mimics like a mosquito, for example, getting caught in it. And then when the host spider comes out, you know, he thinks, I got a mosquito in my, in my web, right? He comes out for his tasty meal, he becomes the meal. The Porsche spider just attacks him, right? This guy is really smart. He tries different techniques. This is an amazing bug. He tries different techniques on different spiders to learn what draws them in, and then he remembers it, and he practices it in the future with those same spiders. Amazing. So for this one spider, for example, this one spider lives, I don't forget what it's called, rolled up in a leaf. It lives in a leaf. And so the, uh, the Porsche spider goes, and he does this little dance on the leaf. <laughs> It's just like that, I'm sure. He does this little dance on the, on the leaf that mimics uh, the mating ritual of this spider. And so this spider comes out thinking he's got a lady on his leaf, right? And then he gets eaten. Like, this is what the Porsche spider does. So this guy, Jackson, the, the writer, this entomologist, he says, Porsche can find a sig- signal for just about any spider by trial and error. It makes different signals until the victim spider finally responds appropriately, then keeps making the signal that works. It's incredible. I guess it's an incredible little bug. This bug is a master deceiver. He knows his prey. He uses deception to lure his prey in, right? Thinking that they're going to get something good, right? They're going to get something good that they want, and then it devours them. Guys, Satan is much the same way. He's not a myth. I actually think that's one of the greatest advantages that he has in our world today. People think he doesn't exist. He's not a myth. He's not a Halloween character. He doesn't have a a red suit, a tail, horns, and a pitchfork. That's not what he has. He's real, and he hates you. He hates you. He's like a lion looking to devour you. He's got different names in the Bible. He's called Satan, which in Hebrew means adversary. And he's called the devil in the New Testament, which means in the Greek it means false accuser. He's called the serpent, Belial, Beelzebub, the ruler of this world. Interesting, right? the prince of the power of the air, the evil one, the enemy, the father of lies, the murderer, the deceiver, the tempter. The devil is the prince of demons, and he is a very powerful fallen angel. That's what he is. And so it's kind of sometimes hard to distinguish between some of the imagery in the Old Testament, but a lot of theologians think that the fall of Satan is talked about in two passages, Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. You can read them sometime when you have time. Uh, 
but he's a fallen angel is what he is. And so some think if, you, if those passages describe him, his falling would be pride is what, what made him fall. He wanted to make himself God, okay? But he probably was an archangel. He seemed to be a very powerful angel. But to be clear, Satan is not the evil counterpart of God, that's not who Satan is. God is good. It's not like yin-yang, right? God is good. Satan is bad. They're not like equal counterparts. Satan is an angel, a fallen angel. He was created by God. The counterpart to, to Satan would be somebody like Michael, another archangel. It's not even close, guys, which you'll see here in a second, something I'm going to read you. The devil was the originator of sin. A lot of times we think sin started in this world with Adam and Eve. No, it didn't. The devil was the originator of sin. John 8, 44 says he was a murderer from the beginning and the father of lies. 1 John 3, 8 said he sinned from the beginning of his life. John 10, 10 says he came to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the one that brought sin into the world. Who's the one that tempted Adam and Eve to sin? Satan in the form of a serpent. But see, here's the thing. He's already defeated, right? He's already defeated. This is why Jesus came to destroy the devil's work, to destroy what the devil has done and is doing. 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's what it says. That's why Jesus came, right? To destroy sin and death. Those are the work of the devil. And what did Jesus say? What was one of the last things that he said before he gave his last breath if you read at the very end of the of, uh, Gospel of John, John chapter 19, was the last thing he said, it's finished. What's finished? His mission, right? To destroy the work of the devil. And so judgment is coming for Satan. He knows that. God knows that. And now we know that. Let, let, me, let me read to you uh, Revelation 20. These, these are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible because you get a little glimpse to see just how powerful our God is. So, so remember I said uh, at the end, Jesus comes back and he reigns. There's this millennial reign of Jesus. Satan is bound. He's thrown in this bottomless pit, which just means he has no influence. Okay, this picks up right after that. When the thousand years are over, when the millennium's over, Satan will be released from his prison. He will go out and deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they're like the sand of the seashore. These are his followers. These are Satan's people, right? Sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. It sounds like it's going to be an epic battle, right, of good versus evil. Here's the very next verse. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's not a battle, guys. The power of the God that we serve, the God that you're here to worship tonight, is so much greater than any evil in the world. And Satan knows that. He knows what his end is. His job right now, his goal right now, is to be destructive as possible until the end. So, so what? Let's talk about so what. What, what difference does this make in our lives today? Well, let me, just, let me just give you a few things. I got five things. I'll be quick with them. But let me give you five things to think through. Here's the, here's the first thing. Angels and demons are real and they're active in our world today. It's, it, it, we, I think that's where it starts. So what? We go, okay, it's real. They're real. They're active. They're working. We don't see them. They're non-physical. They're spiritual. 
but they're real and they're active. They're working in our world today. It's not primitive to believe that. We're not like super smart 21st century people like we're way beyond that mythical stuff. No, it's not primitive. It's real. Hebrews 13.2, it's interesting. Hebrews 13.2 says, some people have entertained angels without even realizing it. Like there's this world, there's this spiritual world around us that most of the time we're not even aware of, right? But it's real. Second thing, I should be aware and cautious, but not scared. I should be aware. I should be cautious, but I should not be scared. There's one thing that we're supposed to fear in this world. You know what it is? God. That's it. It's one thing we're told to fear in the Bible. Psalm 33, 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. And fear of God's different. It's not like, I'm afraid of you. It's like, oh my goodness, you are huge, right? There's one thing we're supposed to fear, and that's him. Our God is huge. And if you love Jesus, he's got you covered. There's nothing else in this world that we need to fear. However, we need to be cautious, And so we need to avoid things that open up evil spirits to us. There's an evil out there. So we don't like to talk about that, do we? There's an evil out there. And we need to avoid things that open our lives up to those evils. So this would be things like witchcraft. Witchcraft is actually getting pretty popular. They don't wear, you know, right on brooms and wear pointy hats. It's different. It's still witchcraft. Ouija boards, tarot cards, certain video games, websites, TV shows, movies. There's a lot of things that we could open up our lives to evil with if we're not careful. Deuteronomy 18 says it this way. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, which is paganism. That's a reference to paganism. Who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who's a medium or spiritist or who consults the dead. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. Don't get involved in that stuff, right? We need to be cautious and we need to guard our lives against those things. It's real, guys. Third thing, it's so important. You and I have been given authority by Jesus to overcome the devil and demons. It's good news, guys. We've been given authority by God to overcome these things. We're not weak. Well, in and of ourselves, we are. But with God, we're not weak, we're not helpless. The apostles in the New Testament, in, in the Gospels and in Acts, they were, they were given this authority, right? We have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us, right? Think of the authority and the power that we have. We talked a little bit about this last week, right? The authority and the power that we have by the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Ephesians 6, you should read it sometimes. We don't have time to get into it. But Ephesians, Ephesians 6 talks about putting on the armor of God. God makes this armor available to us that you and I can figuratively speaking, put on to guard against the devil. The New Testament talks in numerous places about resisting the devil. You and I have the capacity to resist the devil. James talks about resist the devil and he'll do what? Flee from you, right? In uh, 1 Peter 5, it says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. How about this? Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world, right? First John. Like we have a power inside of us, not because we're that strong, you're not, neither am I, but because God's spirit lives inside of us and he's got us in his hand, right? And so we have an authority and we have a power to be able to resist evil and resist demonic things. It's so important. How about this? You're not alone. 
It's good news. When you think about this stuff, it's easy to go, man, I'm scared. Like, what, what about late at night when I'm alone in the room and I hear something going on? It's scary, right? No, you're not alone. You have the very spirit of God living inside of you. We've talked about that numerous times. You also have God's angels to protect you. Like, what a great promise that is. Another one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Psalm 91, talking about those that love God. He'll command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. Send his angels to protect us as well. And then we got a church that supports us. You're not alone, right? You got pastors and leaders that love you and that can help you and support you and pray for you, right? We got groups and leaders that care about you that you can be honest with and open up your life to. And we got a church family. We're here for each other. We're connected to each other. Last thing, last thing. How, how do I ultimately overcome Satan and his demons? This is, if you hear nothing else, hear this tonight. How do I ultimately overcome them? Be strong in the Lord. So simple, guys. When we focus on him, when we fill our life with him, we don't have to worry about the other stuff. I get nervous with people that have this weird focus and infatuation with demons and evil and Satan. I have the, I, it makes me very nervous because he becomes their focus instead of God becoming their focus, right? And that's very, very dangerous. Here's, here's how I end. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Hold on, hold on to this with your heart. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand, I'm sorry, at the right hand of the throne of God. Guys, he's our focus. And if he's your focus, we got nothing to worry about with Satan, with demons, or any of that. The problem becomes when other things are our focus, right? And we don't spend much time with him. And we open ourselves up to all sorts of evil influences. And if we're not careful before we know it, we've slipped away from God. And we've opened up our lives to a lot of stuff that we don't, want to, we don't want to be a part of our lives. Tonight, make the commitment to him. It doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter what you've done. Make the commitment to him that he's gonna be your focus tonight. There's security there. There's hope there. There's power there available to us if we want.